Uncertainty around COVID-19 is changing how people work and now investors are evolving their strategies too. While the office sector grapples with the new normal, investors are looking outside emptied out CBDs. They're making purchases on the expectation that companies will want modern, affordable spaces close to where they live. In Sydney, that could be Parramatta, Macquarie Park or North Sydney, or in Melbourne, Cremorne, Richmond, Mulgrave or Geelong, and in Brisbane, Fortitude Valley or South Brisbane. The number of offices purchased in Australia's metropolitan markets has surpassed CBD deals by a significant margin for the first time in five years, as investors search desperately for stability and long leases. In real estate terms, most non-CBD assets fall into what is known as the middle markets segment of the office sector. We're going to find out more about what's going on in that space in this episode of JLL's Perspectives podcast, a snapshot of the latest developments in real estate impacting our cities, our workplaces and the broader built environment. I'm Rebecca Kent. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of JLL's Perspectives podcast. In this episode, we're covering a segment of the office market that's attracting a lot of attention from investors. At the moment, it's the middle markets. And while I'm hosting remotely, my guests are all in the same room at JLL HQ in Sydney. We've got Grant Nichols, fund manager of Centuria Office Street. Hi, Grant. Good morning. And Luke Bellew, Head of Capital Markets for New South Wales at JLL. Good morning, Beck. And Andrew Ballantyne, Head of Research in Australia for JLL. Good morning, Beck. Okay, Luke, middle markets or metro markets, maybe just lay out a definition for us. How is this segment of the office market different from CBD markets, for example? Sure, Beck. Uh, middle markets investments is an asset class that's profiled in value rather than geography. So put simply, there's three tiers of investment. Firstly, you've got private investments, that really cover assets up to $30 million. Secondly, you've got the middle market space, which we're talking about today. Those values range from 30 to 100, up to $150 million. And then lastly, you've got the institutional investments that exceed $150 million. Now, given the value profile of these assets, generally speaking, the majority of these assets are located in the metropolitan precincts. And that's where we've seen significant growth in the market over the past decade and, and really how this podcast has come about today. So what's a metropolitan precinct then? Maybe just define the geography there for us too. Yeah, look, Beck, it's it's markets like Macquarie Park, St Leonard's, Chatswood, extending through to Parramatta. And really, it's the value profile that we're seeing a fair bit of activity at the moment. And as a house, JLL track in this segment of the market, if we could define it being 30 to $100 million in this case, we track in excess of 400 assets in that value profile range. So in excess of $20 billion as an investable universe. So you mentioned some Sydney markets there. Does this apply to other parts of Australia as well? It does, um, primarily Melbourne, just given the, the quantum and the size of the markets, generally speaking. Um, we're seeing the likes of the offshore investors particularly focus in on these markets for a number of different reasons. And if anything, the, the COVID period and the implications that have come of COVID has accelerated their interest in this market over the last couple of months. So what are the indications then that this part of the market is picking up? We have seen a lot of activity in the likes of Macquarie Park um, in St Leonard's recently, where there's been a number of trades, particularly to those offshore groups, um, occur in the last couple of months. But primarily it is anecdotal. And by that, I mean discussions are increasing with respect to the focus and at least considering these markets um, as an investment destination, particularly for the offshore groups. 
it is a fairly mature market in the likes of Singapore and Hong Kong. So we're getting continual questions. In the past, they haven't been part of the investable framework or the mandate that they've got, and we're starting to see that change. Grant, an interesting time to be investing into offices, given the, all the uncertainty. Perhaps give us an insight into how it's been over the over the past, well, since the beginning of the year, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So look, I look after the Centurion office REIT, which is predominantly uh, a metro fund. So we've got 23 assets and most of those are located in either metropolitan markets across Australia or either secondary CBDs. And when I say secondary CBDs, I'd probably encapsulate markets like Canberra and Adelaide. Probably the benefit in the markets that we've invested into, particularly going through the COVID period that we've just been or we're still going through, is that um, and when you look at our portfolio itself, we've got a very strong underlying tenant quality within our portfolio and particularly government. So 25% of our portfolio derives its income from government. Um, so that has enabled us to maintain very high rent collections through this period. And I think that's part of what um, the investment demand gravitating towards metropolitan markets is looking for. They're looking for those those quality tenant covenants at a price point that's probably more affordable than what you get within the CBD. So from that perspective, we have had a long-term view on the middle markets or metropolitan markets, and I think at the moment um, they are becoming more favourable. The two aspects that the capital is focusing on at the moment is asset quality firstly, um, and in the period of social distancing moving forward, lower density buildings and also less touch points to access those buildings is key to that but also the cash flow characteristics and the security of that cash flow. And I think the lack of SME exposure, particularly in some of these assets, is really what's driving um, the consideration of those investments for the groups that are looking at the moment. Andrew, I'd love to bring you in. You know, maybe you can explain what COVID has taught us all about the relationship, you know, between how people want to work and how they want to travel to work and, and the commercial viability of offices in relation to all this in certain locations. Yeah, sure, Beck. I think as you, when you're going through any form of a crisis, you need to be careful to interpret what's cyclical and what's structural, because often something that we're seeing at the moment, uh, seeing there is a, a shorter trend actually gets viewed as being a longer term structural trend. So we need to be really careful when we're actually analysing all the different things that are happening. Some of the, the research that JLL has undertaken around, you know, what people enjoyed about working from home as an illustration showed that they enjoyed no commute, flexibility, greater work-life balance. I think that piece around no commute is interesting. I don't think I've ever had a discussion with someone and they've said, do you know what? I love commuting over an hour to my job. And that was a pre-COVID discussion that people didn't like commutes. So that's been a positive of working from home. It is interesting though around the work from home discussion that there are a lot more CEOs coming out and saying, actually, it's not as productive as we first thought. So we think that's a cyclical story that has been led by COVID. We do believe that there will be an element of work from home in the future, but ultimately organisations will think about how they locate based on where their workers uh, actually live and actually think about their real estate strategy in terms of that workforce catchment analysis and what that means from a, from a locational decision making. So we do believe that that is a longer term structural trend rather than a cyclical story as a result of COVID. So I understand the characteristics of some of the buildings uh, in metro markets are different from CBD buildings in that they are more conducive to distancing. Are, are they smaller buildings? Yeah, so I wouldn't say they're necessarily smaller. What what you generally find in, in metro markets is they're, they're lower rise. So that basically means there's not as many stories. And 
they may have larger floor plates. So the other thing too to consider is that the metro markets, um, particularly a market like North Ryde, has a lot more newer generation stock than what you find particularly in a, in a Sydney or Melbourne or a North Sydney CBD. So from that perspective, when you think about new generation versus older stock, older stock may have been built you know, 30 years ago when generally tenants were seeking densities of 1 to 14, 1 to 16 square metres. So lifts were put in place to accommodate that, um, whereas a lot of the new generation stock, particularly very new generation stock, have been built to accommodate 1 to 8. So particularly lifting, there's a lot more lifts that have been put in place which can facilitate getting staff in and out of their workplace. And I think when you think about an office uh, building, the place where you do get the highest densities are in lifts, and that's where tenants have shown the most concern. So the benefit of metro offices, and particularly new, new generation metro offices, is that they are low rise, so it's a, a short lift travel time, but also they generally have a greater amount of lifts, so you can get fewer people into, into lifts, and that can create more social distancing. And to add to that, Grant, there's you know discussions around car parking and ratios of car parking. There are obviously markets um, that can benefit from the big infrastructure pipeline that we're, we're going to see in Sydney and the metropolitan markets moving forward. Importantly, we're consistently getting feedback and there's obvious restrictions around travel, particularly with that offshore capital coming in. There is a sense and a desire to do deals and that quantum of money is easier to convince investment committees to, to place that capital sight unseen or with a proxy inspection. Look, I think it's interesting when you look at real estate, I tend to think there are six idiosyncratic risk factors and those factors are not weighted equally and they're ultimately influenced by the economic conditions that we see at the moment. So if you think around some of the factors that are becoming stronger and it's been touched on a few times, it's covenant and whale. You know, the strength of the covenant to pay the rent and how long they're actually committed to the space for. Uh, Grant touched on it with the public sector being a large occupier in, in Parramatta, but also in Macquarie Park and some of the other markets. You look at some of the growth drivers that we're going to see moving forward, forward in particular related to healthcare and also the technology sector, we see very strong representation from both those industry sectors and metropolitan markets. And I think when uh, investors are sitting in front of their IC, it's much easier to be articulating exposure to a growth story than almost the defensive strategy. So saying that we're actually going to invest in markets that are intrinsically linked to what happens in health and technology is a much easier story to get through an IC at the moment as well. Why are government tenants and healthcare technology sector, why are they attracted to the metro markets? I think you need to look at industry sectors in differently, Beck. So let's maybe start with healthcare as a sector. And I'm a big believer in clustering is not a word we use now as much as we used to because of what it means around the health crisis. But I'm a big subscriber to industry clustering, economies of agglomeration, knowledge spillovers, technology spillovers. So there are very strong reasons for why businesses locate where they do. And ultimately, it comes through to proximity to customers, proximity to suppliers, uh, the workforce catchment and other strategic relationships that they may have. So if you look at a market like Macquarie Park, some of the healthcare operators that are based out there have strategic relationships with the university and they share research facilities with the university. So that's a very strong reason from the locational attributes of Macquarie Park of why they're going to be based there and why they're going to be based there for the long, the long term. You also tend to find that their service providers ultimately want to cluster around them as an organization or an anchor organization as well. So that brings in a different type of user, you know, from you know, professional services firms that work with these with these larger healthcare organizations. Your comment around government's interesting because government or, or a public sector more broadly is you know reflective of the whole population. So their footprint should be more dispersed rather than being concentrated within one or two markets. If we take New South Wales specifically, we've been going through the decade of decentralization policy. 
uh, we've more or less had that decade. And that decade has seen uh, the New South Wales government actually stimulate and underwrite certain markets uh, through their own tenancy, which provides employment opportunity. But also, again, you find that professional services, you know, consultancy firms tend to cluster around the government there as well, because there are uh, flow on benefits to them as an organisation in terms of where they're based. So I'm a big subscriber to that industry clustering theory and what that means for markets. Typically, your metro assets um, have longer weighted average lease expiries than CBD assets. Can you maybe explain why that is? Look, I think it comes down to the, the type of tenants that are attracted to metro markets and the fact that in a lot of metro markets, you do get very large users that dominate buildings. So when you think about CBD buildings, they're generally multi-tenanted. And with multi-tenanted buildings, it's very hard to get a whale beyond five years just because of the nature of having so many different tenants within one building. When you go to metro markets, you can get a single user over an entire building that will take, a, in some instances, up to a 20-year lease. So that does allow you to get a much longer lease term in place um, with very secure cash flow. Now, I think the other benefit of, of those metro markets is that a lot of the times you can see these large users come into buildings and a lot of times they renew. So there are a number of buildings in metro markets that haven't had a day of vacancy since they've been constructed and some of these buildings are in excess of 30 years old. When you contrast that to the Sydney CBD particularly, I can't think of too many buildings that have never had a day of vacancy. So not only can you attract very good quality tenants, but they can be very stable markets as well. A lot of the feedback and focus we're getting from the investors is very much around the spread in rents between, call it the CBD or North Sydney versus a market like Macquarie Park or North Ride. If you take a view at the moment that that spread's about right, well then either you're gonna see more effective rental growth in these markets or less downside risk in those rents moving forward. So there's a lot of these themes that are coming to the fore and you know, the investors are buying into it. The investors are seriously considering these markets. Um, and I think another thing worth considering, Grant, it'd be good to get your view on this, the liquidity of these assets is now becoming a bigger picture of portfolio management moving forward. So the fact that you can easily liquidate a $50 million or $100 million or $150 million asset is certainly coming into the consideration of a lot of these groups. Yeah, look, I think that's a very good point. I think over the course of the last few years, we've seen a marked shift in, in, in investors' appetite towards these metro markets. I think in years gone by, you have seen some assets, particularly the larger assets in metro markets, be very hard to shift just from a liquidity standpoint. Whereas at the moment, I think you are seeing pretty much every major player looking at metro markets. Andrew, there's been a lot of talk about the hub and spoke model. And I know, you know, you've been a sort of proponent of this model, or certainly you've been talking about it a fair bit long before COVID. I think sometimes, we, you know, we talk, we talk about trends and we do certainly as a house believe the hub and spoke model becomes more relevant. I do think it's important to caveat that it's not for every organisation. I think there's a view out there that it's going to come, you know, very widespread. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I do think it works for certain organizations. And I think you need to understand the, the characteristics of those organizations as to why it ultimately works for them. And the one that we touched on a little bit earlier, which I think is very relevant, is around workforce catchment. And ultimately, we're doing in the office sector what shopping center owners have done forever. They understand that X percent of their sales comes from the primary catchment, then they've got their secondary catchment and their tertiary catchment. So a lot more organizations are spending more time with their postcode surveys in terms of where their employees actually live. But more importantly, overlaying that with uh, demographic forecasts in terms of where 20 to 40 year olds with high degrees of educational attainment are likely to live over the next 10, 15 and 20 years. Because it's ultimately the marriage of those two pieces of research that inform what your workforce catchment is. And if we take Sydney as an illustration, 
we get some very strong hotspots that pop up under those characteristics. There's one out towards the northwest, largely around the Hill Shire. There's another one to the southwest, which I would argue has lower levels of educational attainment, so it's less relevant from an office sector perspective. And then you have one to the southern part of the Sydney CBD. So when you look at that type of analysis, it really starts to inform certain organisations about what they will do in terms of how they will appeal to, to these workers, especially when we think about what do workers not like doing? They do not like commuting. So being able to actually construct a workplace strategy which talks to, to where your workers are located, I think is very important. However, that only works if you've got infrastructure. And if we look at New South Wales again specifically, New South Wales after the Olympics really stopped building infrastructure for over a decade. And we had a major infrastructure deficit across this, across this state. And what we've seen more recently with the Sydney Metro, uh, which is the largest public transport infrastructure project in Australia's history, is it's really improved the connectivity of metropolitan office markets. We use a, a pretty simple phrase here at JLL, which is infrastructure changes markets. And the infrastructure projects that we're seeing largely related to public transportation are certainly changing the accessibility and the desirability of a number of these metro office markets. All right, we'll leave it there. I think that's a really good thorough assessment of the middle market. So Grant, Luke and Andrew, thank you very much. An interesting chat. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank that was episode 14 of JLL's Perspectives podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to know more about investing in metropolitan or middle markets, you can get in touch with Luke, Grant or Andrew directly through JLL's Perspectives podcast webpage, which is jll.com.au forward slash perspectives dash podcast. There you can also read more about our guests, get the transcript and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. I'm Rebecca Kent. Catch you next time.